I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. I've been a couples therapist for over 23 years, and I often get asked the question, how do you sit with people's problems every day, all day long? How does this just not wear you out or just get annoying when you want to tell people the same thing over and over again? Well, the short answer to that question is that humans are just so endlessly fascinating and interesting. And even though there are common patterns that we see, the way that they show up and working with people's different personalities and backgrounds makes this work infinitely interesting. (laughs) There are so many combinations. And in today's episode, my wife and I meet with Dr. Adam Fisher, a clinical psychologist who specializes in working with couples, where he is going to talk about some of the most common patterns that he sees in his office. And he breaks it down to about 12 patterns, and each one of them has some overlap with the others, but they are so interesting to talk about. And here's the fun thing is that you're probably going to see yourself in maybe not every single one of them, but a lot of them. As Jody and I talked with Dr. Fisher, we totally found ourselves in many of them and had a chance to really reflect on our own relationship. And I hope you'll do the same thing. Of course, each pattern isn't going to fit exactly for your situation, but that's just what it is. A pattern is a chance to give us a starting point, a place to begin asking questions and looking at all the moving pieces. And one thing that we do as couples therapists is really try and untangle all the different moving pieces and interactions that happen so that couples can not only see themselves and their partner clearly, but also more importantly, zoom out and see the patterns that are happening between them and then find reliable ways to shape and direct that love so that they can find each other again more consistently. Let me introduce you to our guest today. His name is Dr. Adam Fisher, and he is a clinical psychologist and he is an, a certified sex therapist, board certified in couple and family psychology. He's an assistant clinical professor at Brigham Young University, where he teaches in counseling psychology and student development. And he sees clients also for individual group and couple therapy at the counseling center. He does have a private practice as well, and he focuses on sexual health and relationship concerns and co-leads an online therapy group for people who feel out of control with their sexual behavior. And if I might just share a quick personal note about Adam about why I respect and admire him so much. About 10 years ago, I wrote an article, as I do every single week. About 10 years ago, I wrote one that really got people fired up. And it wasn't anything super controversial. It's just that a lot of people just didn't agree with it. And looking back on that that same article, there's a lot of things in there I would change and, and I wouldn't maybe say the same way. And that's just how it goes, right? We evolve our thinking, we become more aware of things, become more sensitive to things. And this article got spread around to some different blogs and online forums and on social media. And people really, you know, slaughtered me on it. They were very disrespectful, rude. And like it is, you've seen comment sections. People can be very ruthless and unkind. And Adam, I didn't know who he was, but Adam emailed me directly. And he was the only person who reached out to me directly and sent me a a very kind message of support but also had a lot of questions and a lot of 
just different views and things that he wanted to to share, but also had a lot of questions for me about where I was coming from and just really opened up a dialogue. And we went back and forth several emails and talked about this. And it gave me a chance to reflect on my thinking and some of his points of view. And we had a really great discussion. I had never met anybody that was so balanced and so fair and so open and willing to talk about something like this respectfully. And in today's climate, which of course all of us are seeing, it's just so difficult to have conversations like these. There's so much canceling going on and people are just so reactive and the emotions are running very high. But I just appreciate people like Adam who are just so kind, so respectful, and so willing to stay in dialogue even when they disagree. So that's one reason I wanted to have Adam on the podcast. I've wanted to have him on for some time now, and we finally found a time that could work. And I'm really grateful for his perspective, his input about some of these really challenging issues around couples. So in today's episode, like I said, Jody and I are going to talk with Adam specifically about patterns that couples find themselves in, some of the challenging, difficult patterns about you know where one person's over-functioning, under-functioning, where there's even secrecy and detection, and you'll find yourself in some of these. So just listen, see if you can find places that will help you identify where you get stuck, and hopefully it can be a starting point for you in your journey as you move from crisis to connection. And of course, we want to help couples understand these patterns without feeling totally ashamed or blamed so that they can actually look at and take accountability for how they're showing up and feel empowered to actually make different choices so that they can shape and change the trajectory of their relationship. So let's dive right into our interview with Dr. Adam Fisher. Well, Adam, welcome to the podcast today. It's so good to have you here. Thanks. Excited to be here. Yeah. So we're going to talk about our favorite thing, just couples and all things couples. There's just a lot of dynamics and patterns that I think, I mean, you and I clinically in our practices see a lot, but even, you know, just any of us just Mm -hmm. observing couples and being around couples. There's a lot of consistent patterns that come up. And so let's just dive right in. I, I, I know that you've broken down some common patterns that you've seen in, in your practice with, with couples and your research and just the things that you've uh, just observed over the years. Should we just jump right in, Adam, and go into some of those patterns? Sure. Yeah. Actually, and I'll even give a little bit of a background with that um, personally. So my wife and I were doing some counseling maybe 15, 20 years ago. We sort of recognized a common pattern, which is the sort of pursue, withdraw, pursue distance kind of thing. We were working with a EFT or emotionally focused therapist, and it's sort of about attachment and connection and distance and sort of how do you, how do you manage closeness? And that's sort of where I came across this idea of like even seeing like marital conflict. I, I just barely started grad school, sort of seeing marital conflict in terms of a pattern and not just like, you know, one person or both people need to be better and sort of mm. blaming even blaming both people, you know, or, or oh, taking responsibility yourself. But the, the the biggest thing for me with patterns in general is that problems themselves, as everybody sort of realizes, are really hard to change it directly. It's really hard to change a problem directly, but there's often a pattern that occurs around it. Um, like a, in the case of marriage, like you have a, a, a sequence or a pattern of interaction, like he does this, then she does this, and then it goes back and forth. And it's sort of predictable and people feel like, we're fighting this way. Like, here it goes again. It almost doesn't matter what it's about. You know, like one couple of mine called it the pizza fight. <laughs> they can have, uh, it starts off with how do we pick the toppings? And then all of a sudden, it's like this deep marital argument. Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah. It's like you, you've seen this before. Yeah, I think it was for us uh, when we were building a house, it was the floor tile fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
or for exactly. early in our marriage, it was the the witch video to rent at Blockbuster. Oh yeah, <laughs> back exactly. in those days. Yeah, and you, you look at that, it's like, why are we fighting about that? And because it, it's mm-hmm. not like we're we were fighting about you know some deep religious value or or whether or not to have children or infidelity or things that couples do some ex, some experience, but oftentimes they're just like little things that sort of set it off. Yeah. How to do a Christmas tradition. So some of these patterns are holiday traditions. Some of these patterns right occur once a year. Mm-hmm. Some occur once a week, like every Friday. The first <laughs> 10 years of my marriage, we had a fight after every semester ended. You know, because I say 10 years. I was in school for a long time. People <laughs> 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 we were like, 10 years of semesters. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like in that transition period, like we were sort of buckled down and we're doing the semester and then it ended. And then within a few days, boom, conflict. And that would last about a week. And we're like, Hey, we're doing that again. And it took us multiple times, probably a few years before we sort of realized, Hey, we're doing this thing and it's predictable now. Mm -hmm. What is up with that? So sort of recognizing that there's something going on that's beyond my personality, her personality, individual flaws like we all have flaws everybody does but recognizing that this the a pattern goes beyond that yeah like there's a unique combination that the couple can get curious about and really look at all the pieces that are feeding this pattern instead of one person is single-handedly ruining the marriage right right you know and what's really insidious about some of these patterns is sometimes one person might be more to might be more responsible because there are um, things yeah. that, you know, we could probably come up with a list of, of things that like, well, oh, this person is kind of more responsible, like infidelity. Like no one caused you to have an affair. So there are things like that. But what makes some of these patterns trickier is sometimes that just exacerbates the pattern. Or like you have yeah. one, you have a pattern that we'll talk about in a minute of like one person kind of teaching the other one how to do relationships. I see this a lot, especially if you're married to a therapist, you've experienced this. My wife has experienced this because I used to teach her how to do proper relationships. It was embarrassing. <laughs> this is what I would do. And the insidious thing there is sometimes I had some good stuff. Like I had some mm. good knowledge. And, yeah. You know, it was like research based. I'm doing, I'm teaching her how to do evidence based marriages. You know, like, yeah. This is best. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How can you argue with that? Still continuing the pattern. Yeah. 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 Wow. Right. No, that's right on. So these are, well, I guess one other caveat I would say is these are roles that people take in like a, like a relational dance together. They're not personalities. Sometimes we talk about them as therapists, like, you know, you're who you're the pursuer and you're the withdrawer, but these aren't diagnoses. They're not personalities. They're roles that someone takes. Like you might take this role in one relationship and a different role in a different relationship. Or you might pursue in one area and not in another area. You might be a withdrawer in a different area. So it depends on the issue. These aren't like individual problems, but the ways people are interacting. Which I think is really helpful because if it's really a, you're playing out a role or a pattern, like you said, that's way easier to to change than like a personality or some kind of deep psychological, you know, thing that may have been formed over, you know, between biology and nurture nature. I mean, all the different things that happen. And by the time you're aware of it, you're like, man, that's probably not going to go anywhere. But a role in a pattern, I feel like it, we have more agency in that. We have more ability to shape it. Totally. And yeah. And adding to that, like just I'm thinking in terms of like effectiveness and helping people not feel defensive, hearing that you've got a personality flaw and you need to change yourself. It's much harder to work with than 
hey, it looks like you're taking this role in this pattern and you're taking this role. Can you recognize this and work on this together? And maybe maybe your personality flaws, which we all have, don't shift, but your marriage gets a lot better anyway. Mm. It just, it's, it's easier to work with. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love that. So the way I see it, and this, this comes from uh, Bill Doherty, sort of these three levels of, of patterns. He's a, he's a marital therapist and researcher in, in Minnesota. He sort of puts them at three levels. And the first one is sort of your basic foundation. So these kinds of issues are about like having good boundaries and how do we stay connected day to day? And, you know, who's actually in this marriage and who isn't, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. there are third parties like an in-law or all kinds of issues that can come up there. What are our roles day to day? So the first kind of pattern that couples get in with this kind of sort of basic level would be that kind of pursue distance pattern that you hear a lot from like, like Sue Johnson and others who, who and got, John Gottman talks about this too, the marital researcher. So this is a kind of the most commonly talked about pattern, especially when we think about like, just like daily connection and attachment. So mm-hmm. in this kind of pattern, like one person wants more connection or they want more sex or they want more time together or they want to talk more. The other person feels like, oh, my autonomy is being invaded. I don't want that much connection or they might fear closeness or they kind of sort of begrudgingly go along with it, even though they don't really want to. And then other person's like, why are you uncomfortable? And they're just like, you know, <laughs> um, so people kind of yeah. want people kind of figure out like early on. Actually, I think early on in life, right, you sort of figure out with your caregiver, before, you know, before you have words, probably zero to six months, you sort of figure out how much closeness is OK and about what what feels comfortable. And you sort of establish that together. And I think. Not that that's set for life, but couples sort of have a similar thing. Like they're trying to work out together how close can we be. And one person in this case, in this pursue withdraw pattern, one person wants a little more than the other, mm-hmm. and it sort of creates this kind of kind of kind of loop. On top of that, the person who's more withdrawing sometimes they have a really hard time saying no, like to sex, you know. And then the pursuer says, "Why won't you ever initiate?" Well, why would the withdrawing partner ever initiate? if they can literally never say no why would they go out of their way to bring something up like this like right and so again it's neither person's fault but it makes sense that this sort of repeats on itself Um, Mm -hmm. the withdrawing partner feels like they're constantly being invaded like their boundaries are always being invaded sometimes the pursuer does experiments without telling the other one like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stop pursuing I'm going to stop trying to uh, ask for sex or connection or anything. And I'm just going to wait <laughs> and I'm going to feel really lonely. And then it's going to, and then it blows up. Right. Cause you, know, you can't wait yeah. forever. Yeah. Or, it feels like forever to that guy. Yeah. 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 And I've been in that pursuing role. Uh, anyone that's been in that role. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I could probably wait an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> Days, months. I've waited for a year for you to come around and whatever. Meanwhile, if you're waiting, the other person's feeling great because all of a sudden they're not being pursued. Like, oh, it must be fine now. What they don't know is the pursuer is also using this sometimes as a test for divorce, which happens mm-hmm. occasionally. Like, yeah. I'm going to just wait and see if they really care about me. They start mind reading, which is kind of a boundary issue. Like, if they really love me and I stop pursuing them, then they'll come out and they'll, they'll want to connect with me. And it's sort of a test, but they don't tell them this, right? And so, I mean, that's a, it's kind of a destructive pattern there. Yeah, I've done this really objective test with my sample size of one. <laughs> and I'm not influencing the study at all. Yeah. 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 No blind measures. No. <laughs> right. 
I'm seeing exactly yeah. what I want to this, see. I'm, the reality is in my, yeah, yeah, this is reflecting reality. It's so, yeah, yeah. guilty. I mean, we've all, uh-huh. I don't know, we've all yeah. done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. If, if, if anyone sees themselves in these patterns, like th- these are, these are normal. These are really typical kinds of things. There's about 12 here that I could talk about. I don't have time, but like I see myself in most of them at times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wow. Well, yeah. It's not like, oh no, this is, this is the end of the relationship, but they can be damaging. And with this pursue distance thing, that disengagement that can happen can be more damaging than conflict. You know, you hear this mm, idea yeah. of like anger and, and distress being better than nothing. And sometimes mm-hmm. the pursuer hears that and they go, okay, well, I'm going to push them. I'm going to push them to open up, which is a different pattern we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> you almost can't avoid these, right? Because they're, they come up. Or sometimes the pursuer uses attacks or criticism to try to get connection. You know, you know what, what it might feel like to have someone sort of attacking you and also saying, no, 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 come here, connect with me. So they're shooting arrows at you, wanting you to come closer. And so it makes, I mean, which makes sense. It also makes sense for the other person then to go like, whoa, okay, I might even know that you're hurt or that you're lonely, but you got to stop shooting arrows at me. Yeah. So it kind of does that. Yeah, this withdrawal or pursuer dynamic, I know that in, in Sue Johnson and in, in her research that she, you know, she identified that that that's sort of like on the bell curve. Like, I mean, that's sort of like your sort of big group. That's probably most relationships, most marriages. There's, there's one that's more kind of moving toward and the other's moving away. But then occasionally you'll have some that both move toward or some that both move away, right? Kind of on the ends of that curve. And those, in my experience, those are trickier to work with. You know, the hardest one, I think, is when you have two people moving away, two avoiders, because you don't have a lot of grip, you don't have a lot of traction to work with. And so if you feel like you're stuck in this pursuer withdrawer dynamic, take hope because statistically, like you're actually in the majority. And these are the dynamics that actually are probably easiest to work with because you've yeah, got energy yeah. and movement. There's there's things going on. And and it's really there. There are two people that are protesting in a way for connection. I'm moving away to cool things off, to stay close to you, or I'm coming close to you to try and warm things up, to get close to you. Mm-hmm. They're both coming from the same motivation of wanting to stabilize the relationship. Right. They're both trying to solve this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it can look like the pursuer cares more. But again, mm-hmm. it's not the case because I mean, they're pursuing in this one area, but not necessarily in all the areas. And it's also playing off of itself. So again, the person who looks more withdrawing, they might pursue in a different scenario or a different yeah. relationship. It's just it plays off of each other. Yeah. 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 So you can even switch roles depending on what you're pursuing. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Moment to moment. And that's why I caution people not to get too caught up in like, I'm the pursuer in my marriage, which I've, I've literally said those words. <laughs> I think. Like, not <laughs> but not on every issue. It depends. Right. Yeah. So that's great. A goal with this kind of couple ride is to kind of, well, with a lot of these patterns, externalize the pattern sort of meaning this isn't about me or you or like our personal failings, although you know, we all have them that we need to work on. But this is a, this is a problem that exists between us, like a, like a tornado that takes off that we both contribute to. We both have a role or a, or a responsibility to it, but it's not about personal failings so much as we're both trying to solve this problem of how to stay connected and how to feel safe and how to have autonomy and things like that. And that, that that's actually the problem. The, the core problem. Yeah, I just I just want to add because I think that, you know, I know our audience is mostly comprised of people that are dealing with some sort of a betrayal, often a sexual betrayal. And 
I know a lot of the times when I talk about patterns, whether I'm teaching a workshop or I'm writing something or interacting with even a couple in my office, it can feel like I'm leveling the playing field too much, that I'm basically saying that there's equal responsibility for this. When there's been clearly, like you said earlier, Adam, there's been clearly like a violation. There's been a major line cross that one person has to take responsibility for and is in charge of repairing that piece of it. And I think that it's interesting because when there's pre-existing patterns in a relationship, a lot of the times that then crisis will elevate the pattern and make it even more pronounced. So then the person who's damaged the trust can then sort of turn to the person and say, well, look how reactive you are and look how you're responding to me because they're familiar with the patterns or familiar with their normal cycle, but they're ignoring the fact that there's this huge betrayal that's just poured gas on it. So patterns exist even inside of crises of betrayal but the way to put them out isn't just to do cycle work right out the gate and make it level it's about stopping the bleeding with the the ongoing active crisis affair whatever it is and then we get back to cycle work but it's a, a skilled therapist will help weave those in and out but i just mostly want people to know that we're holding space for the fact that there are situations when there's deep betrayal that it's not just a level playing field. There has to be individual accountability with abuse, addiction, affairs, things like that. Totally. Yeah. A number of those issues. I think where therapists and I've been there, my air is going too far to the one side of like, okay, yeah, you had an affair, but it was really because the two of you didn't know how to connect and it's unfortunate you stepped out. But, you know, really it's about this pattern. That's like one extreme. And the other extreme is, you know, you have the angel saint person who is faithful and the person who's terrible and had the affair and you would completely ignore the pattern. And both of those would be, I think, mistakes when to me, the reality is no one's causing you to betray your partner. No one's causing you to have an affair. No one's causing you to be violent. So that is your responsibility. And there, there are a couple dynamics that are happening that need to be worked on as well. Like it's kind of mm-hmm. a both. So yeah, I, I definitely agree that we don't want to suggest that like, yeah, it's just, it's just really about the pattern. No one's ultimately responsible for what they do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> right, of course. right, right. And then this other dynamic, you said kind of the angel devil sort of thing isn't helpful long-term for the couple because then they never look yeah. at any patterns and that they're just stuck in these roles of one person's guilty, one person's innocent. And then yeah. Yeah, a lot of guys will tell me like, at what point do I get to bring up when I'm hurt or I, my feelings or my, my needs? Like, I don't have any credibility to even like exist in this relationship because of something I did that was really hurtful, which either means that there's not been adequate repair or they're stuck in that cycle, that pattern. Yeah. And like the the goal as a therapist, I'm looking for like, does this couple have sort of a goal for what they want out of therapy? Is it, is it sort of, you know, penance on his part? We're just speaking of like a mixed gender couple, like we're talking about. And then like justice, does she just want justice or does she want like an improved marriage and connection. And and of course, like in that initial stage, yeah. when it's like chaotic and I feel so betrayed and hurt and whatever, sometimes I've told people like, you know, you could maybe take a year in some cases before we really start building trust and you can feel like I can stand up for myself again. I can talk about my hurt and whatever. We, we, we have to get to that. But for now, we need to focus a little more on hers in that situation. This concludes the first part of our interview with Dr. Adam Fisher. You can find more information about Dr. Fisher and the great work that he's doing on his website, adamfisherphd.com. You can also find him on Instagram at adamfisherphd, and I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. 
Thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode. If you want more information and more support, of course, you can visit fromcrisistoconnection.com. Thank you.